I don't think we need to do the theme song. We're not impressing anybody. <laughs> it's just family here today. It's just us. It's just us. Hello and welcome to Tunes and Tumblr's Century Club by Atwood Magazine, your weekly shot of what's new in music. Be sure to give both Atwood and Tunes and Tumblr's a like, subscribe, and share on all the platforms, and tell your friends about us. The only IRL friend I have at the moment is that dog in the apartment across the street that I wave at every afternoon. My name is Anthony, and it is dark outside. Doesn't matter when I wake up or when I get off work, it is pitch black thanks to the horrid magic of Daylight Savings Time, the seasonal equivalent of having the free tier of Spotify. If you don't know what that means, count yourself lucky and richer than we are. Please stream responsibly. We also have a special guest joining us on this week's episode of Century Club. Pop-punk singer-songwriter Tyson Evans, better known by his pseudonym Crooked Teeth, will be joining us at the end of the show to talk First World Problems and to feature his song, First World Problem. It's a fun, upbeat addition to your nostalgic warp Tour playlist, so stick around for that compelling interview. Of course, we all know that drinking alone is a sad, sad business, so I found a couple of guys selling vintage Ren and Stimpy t-shirts at the Silver Lake Flea Market to share their entrepreneurial wisdom with you today. And they are... Ryan, your music connoisseur. And Pedro, your mixologist. Thank you for joining me, guys. I imagine the world of Nickelodeon collectibles is quite a lucrative business nowadays. (laughs) Fucking drowning in money. (laughs) Drowning in money and women. A mint condition Game Boy actually, I think, is pretty valuable at this point. On a okay, recent, for real? yeah, CNBC thing, I think they've become quite valuable. I saw this TikTok uh, where they had like a millennial and a Zoomer standing side by side, and the girl in the middle had a Beanie Baby, and then she pulls the tag off of it, and the millennial goes, "Whoa!" I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of them reacts so hugely, and I was like, "What?" Yeah, the Zoomer was just like, wait, what just happened? He's like, you devalued it. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, he was like, wow, how dare. I wonder if there's, there must be a thread of people who've gotten the call from their dad saying, say, uh, sweetheart, um, yeah, hi, it's dad. Do you have that Princess Di beanie baby? (laughs) Just wondering where you you put that. You know, my dad, uh, he collects things. I'm not going to call him a hoarder because that would be rude. Um, But I recently saw that like mint condition Pokemon cards are selling for a lot on eBay. And you know what? Mm -hmm. Thank God Mm -hmm. that he keeps everything because now I I have that book of cards that I can go back to and I will get to leave forever. You can finally buy that house. Oh, yes. Have fun. Have fun uh, appraising each one for its condition and then listing on it. Honestly. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, let's get into the show, gents. Ordinarily, this would be when we stop by the news desk, but our therapist told us to take a break from reading headlines for our (laughs) mental health. Uh, Instead, we're going to try bringing you a new Century Club segment called Bands and Bookmarks, where we are going to be looking at music-related literature, thanks to our music connoisseur, Ryan. So why don't we head on over? You've, You've picked out something for us to look at today, haven't you? Yes, I have. I was stumbling through Powell's bookstore not long ago, and I came across this incredible zine, basically a collection of reviews called Brainwashing Miss Teen Nosebleed USA. It's one-sentence album reviews by Ryan Werner, at Yeah Werner, and have decided that it'd be great to read a couple of selections from this one and get your reactions and see what we think. I love all these reviews. They're spot-on, surreal, hilarious. It's a fantastic read, and I believe Ryan just repressed a new edition of them, which you can um, find out all about that on his Instagram. So without further ado, let's get into a couple of these. So let's start with Amy Mann, Whatever, from 1993. You think you're being flirted with at the ventriloquist dummy repair shop, but after a couple hours, you realize you've just been listening to this person you now love telling you a very detailed and charming explanation of the entirety of Twin Peaks. <laughs> uh, Wait, I think that's pretty... <laughs> we need to get this person on the show. I, yeah, I think so. <laughs> he has clearly proven himself to be a superior Ryan, I think, at this point. <laughs> um, the thing is, I only introduce you as Ryan. For all anyone knows, you are Ryan Werner. 
That's true. Or if we replaced you, no one would know. <laughs> That'd be unfortunate if no one knew. I was, was going to say, I'm not sure which is, I'm not sure how, how comforting that is. Here's the thing. I've had that happen to me, but it wasn't while I was listening to that album. It was just when I was at my friend's house and he wouldn't stop talking about Twin Peaks until I realized that I loved him. Okay. <laughs> um, sounds, sounds like Stockholm Syndrome, but we're going to move on. <laughs> this is another one. By the way, these are all separated by the by months and times in which he wrote each one, but I'm just kind of pulling ones I like from highlights i suppose they're all highlights but these are ones that i thought fit into the themes of the show so cheap trick samurai rock band 1977 the french maid you hired correctly guesses and mocks your act score (laughs) (laughs) okay you know what we need to do with these we need like this needs to be hashtag mood oh my god oh shit like a reverse like a reverse yeah like you read the review <laughs> yeah and you pick yeah, these, I think are kind you're of, right. these are kind of perfect for that oh man if uh, i didn't know any better i'd also say that john moses had a hand in this honestly <laughs> so this one this one i liked for the single we're covering today it's the go-go's talk show 1984 spilling chocolate ice cream on your boyfriend zubas when telling a story about driving too fast <laughs> Uh. (laughs) he's good you know that listeners if you don't know what we're talking about today you clearly haven't read the episode description but i do like that as a description for the song that we are going to be listening to today (laughs) especially because charlie wrote her own press release and it is fucking fantastic um ryan let's do a couple more before we get into the show I think maybe we'll leave you with one more. We don't want to reveal too much from this incredible book. There are quite a few reviews, but this one um, I like in thinking of the hashtag Boog segment we normally have. This is for Arab Straps Philophobia from 1998. Groundskeeper Willie reads his suicide note onto his ex-wife's outgoing voicemail. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to do it, Karen. It's the specificity for me. (laughs) <laughs> i think it's his ex-wife's it's his own oh god it's not it's his own suicide his yeah. ex-wife's Honestly. outgoing message <laughs> oh wait so it's not like he's telling her it's no, he's no. recording it so he's telling he's telling he's telling everyone who's calling her <laughs> <laughs> well oh, i man. need this one okay. on vinyl <laughs> yeah <laughs> Oh my god. Okay, well I think that we are we are pretty warmed up and ready for today's episode and hopefully we're going to be a, uh, a little more generous to the the song that we're covering. <laughs> Ryan, what are we toasting to today? Today we are toasting to New Shapes, the new single from Charlie XCX featuring Caroline Polachek and Christine and the Queens. <laughs> you know, it, it's another great one, but do we ever talk about bad music on this show? Debatable. Be- bad music <laughs> i get that's up to the listeners i suppose <laughs> i don't think we cover bad music but okay i usually editorialize for a little bit before we get into it but i just want to kick this one off by quoting charlie herself who wrote in her own press release if you don't stream new shapes you will most definitely burn in hell oh i heard about that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i think i'm gonna leave it at that Quite uh a threat <laughs> pedro do you have a shot that could keep us from eternal damnation uh, hopefully. Um, so being that the song is called New Shapes, I figured our shot should probably take some somewhat of a different shape this time. So usually, obviously, we're drinking liquids, but I went ahead and congealed our shot into jello. Oh, my God. What? So we're doing our first jello shot today. Ah, well, you're doing uh, your first. Well, jello. I'm doing our first <laughs> jello shot today. Um, so what I did with this, uh, obviously, this song, it's the the. The sounds of it are just so deliciously pop and sweet and bubblegummy, and I love that. Um, but let's face it, the lyrics are kind of fucking heartbreaking and uh, not not as happy as the sound itself would suggest, and I love that about it. So when it came to making this shot, obviously the jello is just fucking sugar and gelatin, so sweet enough. Um, but I wanted to throw in some things that might uh, contrast with that, like 
very dry, bitter flavors um, to sort of uh, symbolize the, the, the content of the song. So what it is, is it's cherry and berry jello mixed together to make like a purple color. Um, and I took half of the measurements for the water and replaced it with a very, very dry, a mix of like very dry cider, um, some Campari for like more herbal notes, and then a little bit of Grand Marnier just so it's not too, too bitter. Um, and then just congealed it overnight and I made it like a sheet, made it like on a big old like cooking pan. Um, and so it was just like a sheet of jello and you can like get like some cookie cutters and make like stars or like whatever shapes you can find out of it. Have fun with it. Um, I cut, I cut a piece into a bunch of tiny cubes and just filled a shot glass with it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's got a lot of sweetness, but it's also got a lot of bitterness to it too. And it's this delicious, really pretty colored jello shot and we're calling it a uh, shape of Charlie. Wow. Ooh. Nice. Listeners, you really on, on Wednesday the day after this is released, you have to look at what this shot looks like on our social media. Also, I want to see if any of y'all can make one like this. So upload those photos, tag us, and and show us if you can replace Pedro. Please do. Upload that shit to Photo Bucket and put that link in the comments. <laughs> Embed that shit on your MySpace profile. Yo, log into that Flickr account and get that shit popping off. If not, you're going to burn in hell. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great place to start. Cheers, everyone. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. So this is a new sound for Charlie. Well, kind of. I feel like she's been through a lot of it, different iterations. Um, you know, I think about like... Shapes. The, yeah, different shapes. <laughs> I think about back in 2013, there was that story where Charlie got really frustrated with the music industry. She went to Sweden, isolated herself from a record label and made a punk inspired album, which like who hasn't at one point or another, <laughs> but her sound evolves so much with every release she's done. And with new shapes, we're kind of heading into like an eighties dance club era and her new album crash. I, I assume there's going to be a lot more of this. What are you expecting from this new iteration of Charlie? Well, I mean, this this song is gonna. This is a piece of it, right? I'm I'm hoping it sounds like this. I fucking love the sound of this song. Like, I would I'd be down for a whole album of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I mean, from this, you'd expect there to be more '80s, mid '80s, late '90s sounds. We heard that a bit from Lord's new album, and um, there's kind of some Haim esque melodies in here. So I'm liking that. So. That seems to be what, but who knows with her? I mean, sure, she has really strong, you know, she has A.G. Cook in the house. She has really great executive producers, creative directors, and is always, I feel like, on the cutting edge. And so, hard to know. Hard to know what's going on here. I, when I first heard this, I was really hoping this would be a, we were going to get like a, what was that album with Dolly Parton, Linda Ronstadt, and Emmylou Harris? Um, trio. We were going to get a trio album. Mm. with uh christine and the queens caroline and charlie that i was kind of hoping for but i don't think it will yeah and she as part of her press release announced quite a murderer's row of people that she's collaborating with on this she has ag cook like you said george daniel um ian kirkpatrick jason uh evigan i think that's how you pronounce his last name there's just like there's so many people um digital farm animals like th mm. this is going to be something I, I i can say at the very least and i think like even though i seem to come and go from charlie over the years kind of sporadically i am never not interested in what she's doing i think you read about like when she came up um like when she was a teen just like uh performing at underground illegal raves and just promoting her music on MySpace. She's gone through such an evolution from then too. It's just like whatever pleases her until it doesn't. She'll even say in interviews now, she's like, I hate the music I was doing when I was a teenager. And I, I think I kind of just like respect the ability of an artist to reinvent themselves without trying to reinvent themselves. It's just like, this is what I want to do now. And she mm -hmm. just does it. Yeah, she doesn't limit herself. It's like really her only requirement for making music is like it's going to be catchy and people are going to love it. Like mm -hmm. it's going to be an earworm. And I think that even applies to the album that she made last year when everyone and their mom was releasing quarantine albums. But I feel like 
Charlie's seems to be the one that's had the most staying power after the worst of the pandemic. What do you think it is about how I'm feeling now uh, that cemented it in a way that other albums that tried to capitalize on the zeitgeist really didn't? Hmm. I'm unsure of that premise, but um, <laughs> okay. Let's, but I, let's I agree with you. No, the, uh... I no, I agree with you. It does have staying power. I think that um, I think for me at least about it was that I feel like that was so much of it was speaking to that feeling of really wanting to it. It kind of captured that like that angst and that anticipation of like really wanting to go out and missing that ability really to just sort of go out and let loose and feel fucked up and bad the next morning after a night out on purpose. And I think that was something a lot of people were craving. And so it, um, and I think we're sort of easing back into that. So the album really feels, it felt great then and exciting. And it feels like they're even more applicable now when people are actually starting to get back into it. And I feel like a lot of pop now is also leaning into a lot of those trends, like nineties Euro trance and hyper pop. I mean, good Lord, like every dance night now is like the best of late 90s Euro trance and Euro pop. I mean, Wait. with like Pink Panther S, you know, mm-hmm. um, so it's like she was she's really the album feels very current even now. And so which is tough to pull off, which I think is kind of what you're speaking to, Anthony. Yeah, I feel like quarantine itself is like this little boxed era. Like, if we were to talk to our kids 20 years from now and, t- and bring up Tiger King, they wouldn't know what the fuck that even meant. And I think that, you know, you see a lot of this in the wake of tragedy. Like, um, post 9-11, there was a lot of, especially in country music, like a, a patriotic resurgence that kind of doesn't stand the test of time. You know, we, we can debate why that is on a different podcast. <laughs> At least not in certain circles. Yeah, but even, like, if you go back to, like, Vietnam... And you have bands like Credence, you have, uh, you know, Jimi Hendrix, you have um, uh, Buffalo Springfield. Coincidentally, that song that everyone likes uh, uh, isn't actually about the Vietnam War, but but we don't have to discuss that. (laughs) I kind of see like a, a, a little bit of a difference in response. Like when we think about, oh my God, I'm going so far down the rabbit hole. Help me guys. Um, when we think about classic songs that happen in the wake of something in the wake of tragedy i feel like we consider the vietnam protest songs to be more culturally uh relevant or you know part of of the um the collective consciousness more than post 9-11 songs Mm -hmm. i don't know how this fits in but i just kind of went down this rabbit hole like what do you think it is about like these songs that would stay where others don't is it does it have to do with the moment does it have to do with speaking to the moment in a way that transcends it it sounds like you have some thoughts on that anthony i I don't know this is a question that i've had for a long time and i like like why why do songs stay and affect people the way they do yeah and when i'm thinking about like war protest songs or songs that happen in response to a catastrophe when i think about like 9-11 and the iraq war the only thing that comes to mind as like a great record that responded to that is american idiot and like all the other like there's a lot of fun country music made by people like toby keith that you don't want to listen to the lyrics because of how jingoistic it is um but you don't go back to those songs in a way that maybe you go back to credence clearwater revival um and here we are mm. talking about it in relation to the the fun quarantine album that Charlie XCX <laughs> put out last year. Oh man. Um feel free to like pull the ripcord guys if you don't want to engage with this topic. Well, I guess the common thread of all of these things between COVID and that is that they're all tragedies in some way and a huge mm-hmm. loss of life and coping with that. Um but in certain ones were protest were sort of in protest. I think all the things you were alluding to were or music in response or like protesting that rather than necessarily coping with it per se. Mm-hmm. Um and this is kind of a more like making the personal, making the micro macro and like, you know, bringing her bringing fan I think what was great about this was bringing fans into the process. Yeah. Um and like I think of that song I finally understand 
from that album, which, you know, the feeling that I found it might kill me, put me in the ground. And I think that speaks to a lot of something relatable for me, at least was in this time was like a lot of reflection that people did and realizing this realization that things weren't, you know, this idea of returning back to normal was normal, every great showing how fucked up things were. And this was really speaking to that, I thought, in a really um, immediate way. That, you know, immediate is something that I keep thinking of with this album. All these songs immediately grab you. And so I think in this whole, the whole collaborative way of bringing everybody into it, I think, had an effect as well. Now, mm. I don't know if any of the fans got songwriting credits <laughs> on anything. <laughs> I think Anthems was the big one where, like, the fans helped with the verse. And I don't know if, like people have ASCAP shares on this one. I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> Might <laughs> be just be credited as the angels. The a Right, yeah. exactly. But nevertheless, I think it's still, I think that's an effective way to f make f people feel invested. And, um, and so, yeah. And I think also, and all those songs, those, those you're alluding to uh, Credence and American Idiot, which is that the songs also just kind of stand on their own outside of, the tragedies that they're referring to. Yeah. And I think these songs very much do as well. Even um, though they're directly referencing it. Yeah, I see that. And so that even though this is, it's a record about how she's feeling and COVID and all these feelings, it's also one that I feel like can, is very, it, it can relate. It'll relate in like 20 years from now. Like these aren't feelings that I think will necessarily go away. Mm -hmm. That is a really good point, Ryan. And I think it relates to something that I was doing last night when I was preparing for this episode that I thought was procrastination at the time, but now I see it was my subconscious helping me like bring more things in. Um, I, I got sidetracked and I started listening to all of My Chemical Romance's discography and I did like a little bit of research on them and found out that um, Gerard Way was primarily pursuing being a television writer for Cartoon Network and then when 9-11 happened, he decided that he wanted to do something that was going to matter more to people. And that's when he and his brother started My Chemical Romance. And a lot of these songs, especially from their first album, uh, were about how they were feeling in the wake. Because they grew up in New Jersey. And so they were right there. It's like, how are they feeling in relation to this tragedy that had happened? And I think that even though you don't think of um my chemical romance uh as you know a a band that would that like became who they are because of 911 in essence that's what it was and that's kind of where their songs came from hmm interesting interesting i didn't I know didn't that made that connection neither did i <laughs> yep that see procrastination <laughs> is a good thing can you and also results. patience is a good thing because gerard eventually got to make the umbrella academy that's exactly. true. All he needed to do was create the most successful emo band in history in order to do it. <laughs> There's a great Tobias. I'm only, uh, I'm only doing uh, this to fund my real passion. <laughs> <laughs> you made Anthony that comment made me think <laughs> of the Tobias Funke quote where he says, "Well, I don't want to blame it all on 9/11, but it certainly <laughs> didn't help." <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Uh, let's get back to this song before we go and meet our guest. She talks in the verse about falling in love in new shapes after describing very much how she tends to push people away and need her space, but it's at the same time wanting them. So you got that kind of ambivalent attachment dynamic. And the solution is to fall in love in new shapes. What do you think that that means? I think it has a lot to do with sort of changing yourself right sort of adjusting and to to do whatever it takes to sort of stay and stay uh with someone i think she's sort of changing herself or what she thinks or whatever just to sort of make it easier she's just sort of making it smoothing the road whether or not she's actually into it or not she'd rather take the path of least resistance adjust and not be alone that's sad it's depressing <laughs> as shit like the song's not it's fun and it's dancey it's not a happy song yeah i mean i saw if there was a fan theory somewhere where the chorus had you know one interpretation was her speaking about her relationship with her label you know and not and not working or being compatible quite in the same way 
and it could also just be discovering new new perspectives and and sort of you know maybe speaking a bit of her career like reinvention looking at new angles ways of presenting yourself turning things over you know shifting perspective on things um it could also just be about literally coming up with new shapes like <laughs> you know i'm sick of the rhombus you know? <laughs> uh there's um, there's your sound bite for instagram i'm sick of the, yeah that's it <laughs> the rhombus needs to go you hear me <laughs> um no i think uh but yeah there's so many interpretations which is uh which makes a great i think makes a great pop song mm-hmm. and so i'm gonna do my peter seagal wait wait don't tell me voice for this for some reason um i think it's safe to say that after this queen collaboration they most certainly do got it <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, I wanted to ask one more question before we went over to see Crooked Teeth, but no, this is it. That's that's, that's the button. <laughs> All right, Tunes and Tumblers fam, are you ready to meet our musical guest for the day? I, I think so. I'm assuming they said, oh, are oh, you talking to us? Yes. Uh, yeah, we're, I, I'm talking to the listeners. I forgot that they don't have microphones. All right, yeah, let's... Yeah, they can't talk back. There's, there's, I, there's one thing I wanted to mention in the song, which I love that they say in, like, the last verse, you hear them mentioning the names of everybody on the track. Yes. Um, like, it's like, Charlie. Um, <laughs> it's like those videos of, like, the kids dancing, and they're, like, sounding off roll call. <laughs> Prince Royce, Snoop Dogg. Did anyone remember that song? Oh, yeah. Well, how about this? Going back even closer to the decade that she's in, but a little further, Cheap Trick Surrender. Uh, oh, yeah. at, the, at the end, Rick's all right. You know, <laughs> yeah. we're all all right. That's what it reminded me of, like calling out, calling out the band. So, and it's a, I love that ending. It's a great a- affirmation, right? Everyone's good. Or Ballroom Blitz. If, that's another good example. Even if we're not. <laughs> that's true. Alrighty. Let's do it. Let's keep these party vibes going. Today on Century Club, we're putting on our skinny jeans and vans and toasting the heyday of 2000s pop punk with an artist who brings that sound roaring into the new 20s. His grunt-tinged single, Beg, has amassed over a million streams, and he boasts a killer pop collab with our first ever musical guest talker called Light Me Up my personal most streamed song of the year. You can catch him in Dallas this December playing Unsilent Night alongside big names in the pop-punk resurgence like Kenny Hoopla, Swaco, Grandson, and Nessa Barrett. But before then, we have him talking about his latest single, First World Problem. Tunes and Tumblers fam, please welcome Tyson Evans of Crooked Teeth to the pod. Woo! Woo! Thanks, Andrew. <laughs> See, if we take we'll, out keep the... that, we'll keep that as an inside joke yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> leave that in leave the andrew in because people will be like um <laughs> excuse me and then they will they'll never understand why we did that <laughs> yeah so. well listeners you're just gonna have to have to stay with with the uncertainty Kind of like when we lost that entire interview with uh, with Pacer. Don't worry. <laughs> You'll never you know. Don't, you don't worry about it. <laughs> well, Ty- Tyson, Tyson, well, Tyson, we're here today to discuss your latest single, First World Problem. You know, it's a mm. banger and it deserves something delicious to drink with it but we're all ddng today and we're sticking to non-alcoholic spirits for the rest of the night um pedro you have some good selections that could pair nicely with this song what do you have there yeah i mean we're gonna keep it pretty loose thing is we've done non-alcoholic drinks on this show before we've discovered that there's absolutely no reason to sacrifice like flavor uh just because you can't use you know actual liquor um so we've used liars before we've used seed lip ritual these are all just great botanical options and i found this website that i'm kind of stoked on called the zeroproof.com sponsor us um (laughs) and they have yeah they have like this huge selection of just all non-alcoholic spirits and the thing is they've got there's a non-alcoholic spirit basically for every for just about every kind of liquor that you can imagine 
Um, they deliver. They've got city guides to help you like find non-alcoholic spirits and where they're available in certain cities. Like it's a really great resource for anyone um, who's looking to sort of up their mocktail game. Um, the main, the main uh, twist on uh, what we're drinking today is like so. The song's called First World Problem," and when it comes to making drinks, I was thinking about what what a first world problem might be, and that might be in finding the mixer, like. Don't you like you, whatever you drink for this? You cannot get name brand mixers. That is my only. That is my only requirement. So like you're like, ah, oh, I couldn't get Coca Cola. I had to get Kroger Cola. You know, you had to get the <laughs> store brand. I could, yeah, exactly. You got to get Shasta. Oh, I, they didn't have Schweppes, so I had to get you know uh, signature Select Club Soda. RC. RC. <laughs> whatever you whatever you go for, it's got to be off brand. That mm-hmm. is my only requirement. That is our first world problem here today. As a uh, lower middle class kid, I am very familiar with the RC Cola, um, the RC, the RC Mountain Dew version. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. I can't, oh, I yeah. can't remember what it's called, but it's it's like Mountain Mist or something like that. <laughs> mountain <laughs> Mist. Like, it's like not Sierra Mist, not, not Mountain not, Fog. <laughs> yeah, it's like, dude, it's something so stupid. Uh, they did, they didn't fog. even. They didn't even try, you know. <laughs> you have an RC car. I have RC cola. We are not the same. That was something that went through my head as a kid. So you know what's funny though? Like as a kid, I always, I swear for like the first like five Christmases, like probably between like the ages of like four and like nine or ten, my grandma. Oh my god, it's so it's so dumb. Dude, there was like cool RC cars, right? You know, like the ones where they were like wireless. Mm-hmm. My grandma, for like whatever reason, like every year would get me the one that like had a wire on it. So like you could only go like <laughs> you had to like follow it. You had to chase like trail. <laughs> you had to like chase the car. And it'd just be it'd be so stupid. You'd be like at whatever relative's house is doing Christmas. And you'd just be like, it'd be on the carpet and already sucked ass and just going like half a mile per hour. <laughs> and then you're just like, just chasing I don't know, it like a dog just, on a leash. Maybe it was just like a precursor to like my whole existence, you know, existence. Uh, <laughs> I think it was slow, a way. It was slowly a very charming, chasing the dream, you know. <laughs> clever way to get you to exercise, I think. Yeah. It's going to be a i was i was doomed doomed from the start um yeah that's funny i like that i like that that joke it's relevant (laughs) (laughs) i was thinking about like what a first world problem drink would be for me and i I was kind of going back and forth but like i had a moment the other night I, i don't know uh the guys know but i've had a rough week to say the least and one night i came home i'm like i just need a drink and i stand in front of my liquor cabinet uh, it is a bookshelf full of liquor. There are even bottles on the top. Like there are just bottles on bottles on bottles. And I looked at it. And I'm like, I have nothing to drink. <laughs> and I'm like, what is wrong with that's me? a first world problem? Yes, yeah. that is a first world problem. <laughs> See, that's why I liked the website. Like it's there's so many fucking options that it's just gonna be hard to pick. First mm-hmm. world problem. Oh man, there's I is there Crown Royal in there? There are all kinds of whiskey substitutes in there. Oh, no, I was talking to Anthony. Oh, oh. <laughs> I don't have Crown Royal, but I have Crown Royal bags, which are infinitely useful in carrying yeah. around random cables and batteries and stuff. Oh, They're absolutely. amazing. Mm-hmm. Get the Crown Royal for the bags. That's all we're saying here. Please sponsor us. So we need to talk a little bit about this song, First World Problem. And I think that it's a great progression of the rest of your music. And it all kind of falls a little bit into the pop punk category, but there's so many other influences. Um, there's grunge, emo, trap production. Um, it, it, you know, your, your influences seem to come from all over the place. I'm wondering overall, like, how did these elements come together for you? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I would say that I do try to write very uh, intentionally, um, but not to the point where... Like, I, I like, I like there to be some imagination for the listener, you know, to be like, oh, I wonder, like, oh, this part sounds like this. Like, I wonder if he listens to that, like, you know, like, like moments like that. I think like Beg is a drastically different kind of rock sound than First World Problem, where it's like Beg sounds like 
like there's parts in it that are owed to Nirvana, you know, or or Alice in Chains, stuff like that. Um, whereas First World Problem is much more like when I think about it, for me, it's like I I was going through I, there's this band and many people you know, in the pop punk scene, especially in my age bracket, might consider them a guilty pleasure of sorts. But uh, I, I grew up a church kid and I love this band called Reliant K. Oh my yeah. God. <laughs> there it is. And uh, yeah, so like right away from the intro of the song, like, it, I mean, it's like capoed. It has this very like twinkly, bright, kind of like sunny day uh not sunny day real estate but sunny day like it's a sunny day outside um and it just has this like really like i don't know i just feel like jubilee when i listen to to the intro riff and and when i listen to reliant k i, I listen to them often when i'm having a maybe like an existential crisis or when i'm going through it in my mental health um and, uh, and, and, but not exclusively that, but, but a lot of times I find myself, I, I think Matt Beeson, the, the, the songwriter and lyricist and singer, I think he's, um, he's so incredible at just like capturing in, in a very like witty way, um, talking about mental health and, and, and depression and anxiety and issues like that. And so I wanted this song in, and, and then it's always over, it's always over like, the darkest songs like in the subject matter it's always over the most like happy chords like it makes you feel like like you're you're depressed but you're driving down the 101 with your windows down and there's not a cloud in the sky and it's it's you know the, the sun is out and and so when i was writing this song and when i went in um with my friends nick and joey to work on it I was listening, like I listened, I was listening to uh, Who I Am, Hates Who I Been on the way to the studio. Mm. And I was just like, uh, I, I want to create a feeling like this and kind of like a juxtaposition. Um, and so with that song specifically, like I, I feel like I paid homage to, to that feeling and that sound while still the lyrics. I mean, I don't want to say that they're depressing by any means, but they are very cathartic um and honest and i i you know specifically this past summer i had been going through a lot of um feelings of like uh just kind of like self-doubt in my in my journey in music and whatnot and um i wanted a way to kind of articulate that in a way that was like honest but also cheeky and fun you know over like a fun sound and going back to your main question about like the actual influences of sound another artist um i think this song definitely encapsulates encapsulates like um the influence of like that period of of my life when i was a teenager listening to like reliant k simple plan good charlotte um obviously you know the obvious ones like blink 182 and green day um but then also am able to like talk about things that are rather serious you know in, in my own life and um kind of like an existential crisis and so yeah song by song my rule with crooked teeth um from the start of the project when i started it uh about four years ago was that like i never wanted there was always going to be this like undertone or maybe it's an overtone of like emo or pop punk but i always wanted other influences to bleed in um that i that i grew up on like i i have a love for country music i love um you know, I also love Americana. I love pop music so much. Like I, I truly like, I know it's cliche to say, but I, I truly love all, all, you know, all styles of music that I've been exposed to and that I've allowed myself to digest. And, um, and that's something with the project I've always wanted to stay true to is like, maybe no two songs sound the same. You know what I mean? Like they always have, they always might have that like bubblegum sound, but they always allow other influences to bleed in and i never wanted to be scared about that and that's something like as someone who is also going down this path as like a songwriter outside of my own project i wanted to always be able to showcase that i'm not limited to just writing you know a pop punk song that sounds like some contemporary pop punk band or you know that's always like super blink 182 derivative like i always wanted to let other things bleed into because i think that that's what keeps the sound in the project and myself again as a songwriter like progressing forward 
mm-hmm. and um and being allowed to kind of like expand my horizons um so yeah that's that's cool that you noticed that because it's definitely an intentional thing yeah i think there's a big difference in uh taking from an influence and making something new and just being derivative and i'm not going to shit on machine gun kelly here but i am <laughs> going to uh give him a little side eye about his last project i like it i like it a lot but it definitely is um just like holding a torch for uh you know the 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 past so to speak mm. um yeah yeah i think there's a fine line you know what i mean like i i, I do think that there's like nuances that i listened to on that record on tickets to my downfall and and like especially the new song he released like he's definitely and i think with travis barker at the helm of everything there's uh and this is just my hot take but i think that um no one asked for it, but I'm going to give it anyways. <laughs> um, I think that it's all, it's it's going to be more derivative. And I think that also with this project coming from solely like a hip hop rap artist and trying to make that crossover into like mainstream pop, I think they're doing something that's like very similar to what was done in the early 2000s. Like they're, it's, they're almost like intentionally playing it safe like they're not going to lean into nuances too much because if they lean into nuances too much, it's like going to be, it's kind of like the difference between like Kenny Hoopla and Machine Gun Kelly. Like when I listen to Kenny Hoopla record, I'm like, Oh, there's some like Midwestern emo influence here. Mm -hmm. There's some screamo influence here. There's like, there's some like harder shit going on here. um, That isn't so uh, easy for the listener to just like grasp onto where I feel like with the Machine Gun Kelly record, it's much more intentionally um, accessible, friend, yeah. accessible and pop friendly and and safe in the way where it's like you listen to Newfound Glory in the early two thousands and you listen to Good Charlotte or Simple Plan. It's a it's a stark difference. Like Newfound Glory, like you could hear their hate breed influence, you could hear their Get Up Kids influence, you could hear like all these different things while still being pop friendly. Um, but you got like good Charlotte and simple plan. That was very much just like ride the line, like stay on TRL, like make sure you don't, you know, <laughs> move, move too far away from that. And, and that's, all, that's all great. Like, I don't have any, obviously I've all, I've been impacted by all three of those. And, and, um, but yeah, I, I do notice that that is a, that is a thing. And I think it's deliberate too. So. Just a note for listeners, you should check out the recent stuff by all three of those artists. I think that moving away from TRL and like the uh, the heyday of pop punk, um, they have started experimenting way more. So like just check out their most recent albums. I, I do. I do like the idea. There's definitely like a very sweaty manager, like an unkempt sweaty manager just saying, stay on TRL. <laughs> like has, a, has the whiteboard and writes it like in the in what he calls the war room for the band you know what else is on that whiteboard the dad song like write the dad song like you have to have the dad song i feel like good charlotte's like most of their their shtick and this is literally no disrespect and to my knowledge like this is part of their actual organic story like i mean i feel like their first two records like there's so many it was like every other song was a dad song it was like (laughs) i have no father structure in my life therefore i am punk rock and i am going to make my own way and um and that's like part of their that's like part of their thing but i i noticed like some 41 has a dad song simple plan has a dad song yellow cards got the dad song and they were all on those (laughs) records that came out in the trl heyday so it is like I was, uh, yeah, that's something I've observed very closely and I, it's not exclusive to them either. Um, but that was like a thing. I mean, it was probably because of like the divorce rate and, you know, the um, late nineties and early two thousands too. I think it's definitely, um, a, uh, maybe like a side effect of that, you know, mm. um, and popular I smell music. the think piece. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. We could but- go, we could go on about that forever. Stay together for the kids. Stay yeah, together for the mind. kids. Mm-hmm. Which the tone of this song was making me think of Blink of Blink One Eighty Two guitar tone, and that was the one I think. And I was trying to put my finger on it. Are so, you talking about First World Problem? Yeah, yeah. The guitar oh, tone on cool. that was yeah, that's cool. Making me think of that and a few other. Stay together things. for the kids was like I feel like that was like Blink One Eighty Two's first like. Uh, I was just talking to one of my friends about this. Like, it was like their first. Uh, 
like big like they were always very into bands like quicksand and sieve and gorilla biscuits and like deftones mm. and i feel like stay together for the kids was like the first down tempo song they wrote that was like very uh they were like paying like they were paying homage to that you know and and that's like super obvious in that song and i fucking love that song for that reason because it's still very like pop friendly but it's it's a down like that is a very down tempo dark chorus um it's pretty cool Fun little anecdote. Um, I I listen to a lot of. We'll decide if it's fun. Okay, I listened to a lot of <laughs> pop punk back in the day, and of course, my parents, being parents, didn't like it. But my mom came to me one day. Fucking dads. <laughs> said that like a student in her class had like played, uh, stay together for the kids, and she's like, I like this. I like the lyrics. I like I like I like the sound. And I'm like, huh interesting are we gonna bond over blink 182 <laughs> like that was That's the song funny. that she gravitated toward love you mom you're like i need you're like i need to go burn this cd immediately <laughs> immediately <laughs> they have sold out now mom's like actually it, it went from blink 182 liking moms to moms like <laughs> <Blink> 182. <laughs> so the, the only real reasonable response to that anthony is to completely disown that anth- that album in response to your mom liking it and saying, no, I don't like that one. I only listen to Cheshire Cat. <laughs> that sounds oh like something God, I would have said. So I only, you don't even have the Buddha record. You're not oh, a fan. You don't even have Buddha. But you don't even have the grilled cheese records version of Buddha. <laughs> that's, Whoa. That's, ba- that's big Anthony energy. But wait a second. Is this a type of guy that we've invented that only likes Cheshire Cat? Like actually dislikes all of the later stuff, but only likes Cheshire Cat? That's like real. That's like a real thing. That's like in a real elitist energy. No disrespect. To, I'm not saying this is Anthony. I don't know that well. <laughs> we can I don't say know this Anthony is Anthony. Well, but I'm just saying uh, it's that is a real ener- energy. And it's like, it's like people are like, oh, I only like bleach. And it's like, dude, shut the fuck up. Like, never mind. <laughs> and in utero are masterpieces. <laughs> shut your fucking mouth. For like, any- uh, yeah, that shit annoys the fuck out of me. It's like, uh, it's like when someone, never mind. You know what? I don't want to go on a tirade. <laughs> <laughs> no, go off, go off. Go off I man. just like, I also love the Goo Goo Dolls. And it's so funny to me when people are like, I was just watching, there's, uh, my friend Joe and I were watching their VH1 storytellers that came out and like, I don't know, must've been like 99 or 2000 or something. And some guy gets up in the audience, which if you know anything about the Goo Dolls, like there's two singers, but, but, uh, John is like the main singer. It's not like Mark and Tom dynamic. It's like, John has every single one of the hits. Uh, and then there's Robbie, the bass player who like, and I feel like they're just like, ah, like they must be really good friends because it's, it's like a pity thing that they let Robbie have songs on the records. Cause he's just like, it's just, it's just like, it's like a ring. When you go thing. from like, yeah. yeah. When you go from like, <laughs> when you go from like two John songs that are, you're just like, God, that's a fucking banger. And then you hit a Robbie song. You're like, this is like budget mm. replacements. <laughs> I don't know why I'm listening to this. And uh, I'm so <laughs> sorry. I'm Ooh. so sorry, Goo Goo Dolls. I love the Goo Goo Dolls. Budget but there's this point in the in the fucking storytellers where a guy gets up in the audience. He's like, I just wanted to say, Robbie is rock and roll's best kept secret. Like, and, and like, you can just see, like, my friend and I are like, oh my God, like, who paid that guy to say that? Like, literally, <laughs> there, like, someone, someone, like, it must have been Robbie's, like, girlfriend or somebody was like, here's $20. Like I'll, I'll let them give you the mic, but you have to say this. And, um, and that's what happened. I have a very hot take on the doodles and, um, and them being one of, it's like one of those things where people think that like Robbie songs are good songs. And it's like, it's like a whole thing where they're like, yeah, I know the doodles, but I only like the Robbie songs. And you're like, bro, like there's a reason why every single John song is like a top 20 hit. You know what I mean? It's like, fucking. <laughs> i love this guy i love this guy that's only listening to the stuff that we know is not peak of whatever that band is like who thinks fentuzler is the apex of blink 182 (laughs) you know what is a banger though you know what is a banger early blink 182 song uh wasting time oh yeah yeah 
It was like one of their first like good choruses that they ever wrote, I thought. So that's my hot take on early Blink. <laughs> There's been a lot of you really know your pop punk roots because what's what's refreshing or not just pop punk, but punk and like emo, like mentioning the replacements, because I feel like so, you know, you've done emo night or you're you know, you kind of have this affiliation with that. And I feel like I've seen like Jawbreaker being played there before and people don't really. What is this? I didn't hear this at the Northridge Fashion Center. <laughs> <laughs> like the Northridge Hot Topic. I mean, I mean, no disrespect to Emo and I. I doubt, I doubt that they'll even hear this. And and um and actually, like Morgan over Morgan and TJ, like they love, uh, they love like Midwestern emo. Like they love the songs that aren't the top forty songs, but they definitely have an operation. I don't doubt it, yeah they definitely have an operation going on to where they have to cater to like the mall fucking punk version of whatever they actually want to do. Um, thanks live nation. Um, but basically they, it's like, it's so frustrating. Like I could not get myself to go to an email night anymore. Cause it's just like agonizing. Cause it's just like, how many times am I going to hear the same My Chemical Romance song over and over again? When like, even as a fan, I didn't like that. Like I liked that song when it first came out, but it's not like that's what I'm listening to when I put on my cam or uh fallout boy or, you know, any of those artists who are all great. And it, it's not our fault that like the radio ruined those songs for us and MTV ruined those songs. Like green day is my favorite band of all time. And I can't tell you how annoying it is when people are just like, Oh, fucking green day sold out like American idiots trash. And I'm like, you no, ever listened to have you it's, ever it's literally one of the greatest wrong. it's literally one of the greatest rock records of all time like i don't give a fuck who you think you are like it doesn't matter how many times you were forced to hear uh you know wake me up when september ends in the dentist's office like i don't give a fuck like it's still there's still it's one of the greatest records ever like rock records ever and um and i i really that's kind of like a thing that's a bummer about like the mainstream is that whether an artist likes it or not or ever intends upon it or not their songs are gonna get you know like kind of butchered in that way by mm -hmm. by pop radio or or you know major alternative stations and but i think we live in like a society now to where the radio doesn't hold that much mm. power in yep. ruining something for us like now it's yeah, tiktok it's in, it's in TikTok's hands. tiktok is the one who's ruining everything now <laughs> right but i i mean I, I mean, like for me, like, uh, well, I guess it, I can't say that for like artists like Imagine Dragons and like AWOL Nation and shit, because I hear those songs and I'm like, oh my God, K-Rock, like why, is this like where we're supposed to like take, take a break and like flip over to our Spotify and like not listen to the station? Cause like, this is bad. It's, it's just like, that's overplayed, but that's also annoying. Like that is, I, it's objectively annoying music. Uh, it's, it's like those artists are, are no, I was thinking about, it. I was in target the other day. Uh, I was actually a runner on Celeste's new music video and she sent me to target for something and I was walking around target and all I heard were it's this thing in songwriter world. It's called like you write for sync. So you're mm. writing for songs to be placed. Like oh. there are bands oh, yeah. in Los Angeles and Nashville and New York that exist solely to write music for sync. And then what happens is they get a good sync placement. So then they get like all these, oh, they get all these, all these other like chess pieces come into play where it's like, oh, now you're going to go on tour with, uh, you know, Imagine Dragons or Fall Out Boy or whatever. And now you're like a real band, but you really just started to get placements and to get money and residual income and never be like a real band that's part of like an actual community, like that cultivates the following. It's like, we live in this sync age of like, and it's always existed, but I think it existed less in like the nineties. I think that MTV allowed things to get popular. Like you think about like a band, like um, uh, I was listening to an interview with um, what's his name from Hootie and the Blowfish. Uh, Darius, Darius Rucker. Rucker mm -hmm. Darius. Who is so, so fucking talented and cool. And he was talking to, uh, he was on Smartless and he, he was talking about how they were like a real, I mean, they are a real band, but they were a real band before, uh that hit that got they got uh the offer to like go on saturday night live and stuff like 
they were a band that was like barely gracing early K-Rock when it was in New York and Jay Leno happened to hear the song and was like, I need them on my show. This is fucking great. Like things like, like that were like so much more accidental in the nineties. We're like now it, literally like I've been in sessions with people who are like, Oh yeah, I just wrote for sync with that guy. Like, Oh yeah, I have this like sync project. I have this like, and it's like, okay, I get it as an artist. Like you're trying to put food on the table and like, you know, build like a career that maybe isn't so based around like community or touring because that shit is expensive. There's a lot of overhead as someone who's been doing it since I was 15 years old, like, fuck, I wish I wouldn't have started touring when I was 15 years old. And I wish I would have known that there was like an easier route, you know, but um, it's interesting because like you go to Target or Vons or like wherever, and there are songs that play that you're just like, these motherfuckers like sat in the studio like it was a laboratory and we're like, <laughs> how can we make the song? Like lyrics don't matter in the sense of like catharsis. Like it doesn't matter. It's we mm -hmm. just need to make a song that is like, and now I think that's happened. That is to a degree happening with TikTok where, I mean, I wrote this, I have this song on my new record that, yeah, it came from the heart and everything, but everyone I show it to and like even within myself, I was like, the way the BPM of this part is and, and the lyrics and the melody, this is a TikTok song. Like mm -hmm. this is going to be a tick. This is a song you do a TikTok dance to. And that is kind of like the new, that is becoming like a new thing. Um, but it is interesting, like, especially coming from like, I just like punk rock and, and like growing up going to shows at Gilman street and stuff like that. And then like now being in this like songwriter world, and seeing people just objectively try to write songs that are commercial and have no sub sustenance really, you know? So I don't know how we got on that tangent and I'm sorry that I drove us that <laughs> no, way. It's a, it's a great tangent. I think oh, emo night, emo we're night, talking about you know? emo night <laughs> and um, commercial music. Yeah. Well, I was going to just jump back to TikTok really quick because like, I think I was a little dismissive about it. I mean like, yeah, you hear the same song on TikTok over and over again, but there are genuinely like, heartwarming stories of just like the chaos of TikTok picking up a band yeah. and like saving them. And yeah. the, the most recent one I can think of is the Walters, that Chicago band that like, you know, they never really found any success and they, they called it quits in 2017. And then all of a sudden these kids are starting to play their song. I love you. So, and now it's in like the top 50 of Spotify. And I got an email from one of our good friends at Warner brothers saying that they had just signed the band and are are doing a reunion tour for them and i'm gonna probably get to talk to them really soon not for the show but like for the print magazine for atwood but i just thought that was amazing like these yeah. guys tried so hard it didn't work and then four years later like the algorithm picked up one of their songs and now all of a sudden they have a career like that yeah that is insane yeah and and the thing is like you can't predict something like that <clears throat> yeah you can write for sync all you want but at the end of the yeah. day, like something has to click some some right. sort of spark in the universe has to just ignite. And yeah, it's true. And hopefully, you know, as as TikTok becomes the dominant force in social media, we're going to see a lot more of those good stories alongside the ones that are clearly algorithm baiting. Doubtful. How about we got to we got to make a nod to a very recent one, which when I say very recent, by the time this comes out, it'll be ancient history. But um. The Mountain Goats. Have you heard oh, about Yeah. It? Oh my God. <laughs> no children. No children. 2002, no t a 2002 song about a doomed divorce. So here we come back to dads and divorce. <laughs> but it's like an incredibly dark song that should is like an should not have any virality to it. <laughs> and somehow it has. <laughs> Leave it to the twelve year olds. And, and Oh, no, I was just going to say John Darnielle, he's been influencing like um, oh, yeah. DIY punk forever. And like, I, I just keep coming back to the way that Laura Jane Grace writes her her music. Like you can hear the same sort of cadence, the the stuffing of as many words into a stanza as possible that she clearly got directly from John. Like he is so influential and I love him. Amen. Yeah, that's true. Um, that's a band that I never really like got into, but I always had friends that like my friends in the wonder years, like they were always, um, soupy, their singers really big into the, the mountain goats, especially the way it influences lyricism and, and delivery. And so that's, that's, uh, that's crazy. Yeah. The virality of things is really insane. Um, I feel like going back to like simple plan and the TRL, uh, TRL days, like 
they're another band that's having like a viral, they've been having viral TikTok moments like in the past, like over the pandemic and their singer has really leaned into it. Um, and I feel like it's given them, not that they didn't have staying power before, but I feel like it's giving them like a boost in, um, in their presence. Like I, I feel, I don't know. I, it's just TikTok is insane, you know? And it's crazy too. Like for me, I, I'm a very, um, I don't do well with social media in general. Like the fact that I have any presence whatsoever is beyond disbelief for me. Um, so like TikTok has been a very hard thing for me to like lean into and like make my own TikToks. But I do think I'm like, well, maybe one day, you know, Celeste and I talk about actually talking about this. We're like, we don't ever want to be like TikTok famous because we have this like TikTok personality. But God, wouldn't it be awesome to just have that moment where like your song, like some fucking teenager, you know, finds your song and is like, oh, I need to make a TikTok for this. And then it's it, it blows it up. And um, and I'm not going to rule that possibility out. But I don't know just for like a, for like a lot of bands in like the late 90s and early 2000s that and even like the early night, you know, Green Day and and Nirvana and stuff like that, like. I don't think any of those bands really had an intention to ever be on MTV or 120 minutes or like get, get discovered like in that way. You know what I mean? I don't think they ever imagined them to have like a viral moment. And, and I can honestly say like, not that I'm above it or that I would not be stoked on it, but I don't ever, I don't really make music to have like viral moments. I just make it for the sense of like catharsis and because I love music, but it would be, really dope to have one you know and, you know, pay, pay, pay your bills off of just like existing and writing a song um and not having to like create some you know uh remedied and like extreme version of yourself that isn't yeah. you know actually how it is when you close the door to your room so yeah um interesting times we live in man to this... say the least <laughs> and god i really wish that we could keep having this conversation forever but um, unfortunately, oh, yeah, we, move, huh? we, we have to have listeners. <laughs> the drink, the drink, the drink that we are having with first world problem is our own first world problem moments that we would have in a bar using the alcohol free spirits that we have. So, mm. like, for instance, we have the uh, do, do we have um, the different ones pulled up right now? Uh, yeah, I'm looking at a whole page of them right now. Um, some really interesting ones. Like, they've got like a pair of teeth. So I don't know, like, have you guys ever had like, you know, Campari or. Um, like a an Aperol spritzer. They've got like non-alcoholic versions of those. That would probably be pretty good. Um, they've even got non-alcoholic like wines, rosés. It's, I mean, the choices are endless, and your problem is to fucking figure out what you want. <laughs> We're gonna link this place to the episode description, and Absolutely. listeners, go in. Tell us what you managed to find after you got past your decision paralysis. And I mm -hmm. want everyone to listen to this song so that they can get an idea of what exactly it is that we're talking about. So we're going to wrap things up here and turn it over to First World Problem by Crooked Teeth. Also, this is kind of an aside. I wanted to bring it up when I was talking about the Walters, specifically because we were talking about dad songs, but their album that the song I Love You So is from is called Songs for Dads. So <laughs> it all comes back around. Uh, I'm going to, you know what? That's going to be my next, this will be my conclusive take. That's going to be my next, uh, my next adventure. I'm just going to write uh, like a parody album. It'll be geared for a whole SNL episode about early 2000s pop punk about songs that are just for dad. Um, <laughs> And I'm gonna write my own songs for Dad, Dad's um, record, and it's gonna be all just pop punk songs, generic pop punk songs uh, about about my father. Because you know what, my friend Gina actually asked me last week. She goes, "Do songs great?" She's like, "I love the lyrics and stuff, but like, when are you gonna get real deep and like write a song about your, you know, trauma with your father?" And I was like, "Oh my god, I guess it's time." You gotta feed the beast, apparently. More. I want more. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks, guys. Yeah, and thank you so it's much, Tyson. Real. Thank you. Yeah. It was um, a good hang. Thank you so much for coming out, Tyson. This has been amazing. And I learned a lot about pop punk and sync and everything. 
<laughs> I need to re-examine the way that I look at the algorithm. And, and we will be launching Trauma Request Live, where Tyson <laughs> will be debuting his next single. Uh, it's Trauma Response Live. Trauma. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I love that. Yeah. And thank you for listening to Tunes and Tumblers. Tunes and Tumblers is an Atwood Magazine podcast and a member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Be sure to like the show, Atwood and Pantheon, on every platform and check out some more of Pantheon's amazing music-based pods. Please rate and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. It helps us out a lot. And if you scroll to the bottom of the episode description, you'll find a link where you can donate directly to the show. Every dollar helps keep Drew off the street and in the studio. Tunes and Tumblers was produced as always by Drew Franzblau. Our theme song is by New New Girlfriend. Now, without further ado, here is First World Problem by Crooked Teeth. Cheers. 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 You're driving in the dark with no headlights. Got no place to go. Nothing feels like home. Searching for a spark that you can't find. Thought you'd have it all by 29 years old When you wake, you feel like closing the shades Cause today, there's too much noise in your brain And you ate the medications you take It feels like running right around the train First world problems, something's always missing Friends keep calling, keep them at a distance It's all our fault, you wish that it was different First world problem, not my problem